And we are live for a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host, and I'm joined by Seth Wintrow back in New York. Are you doing, Seth? I'm good. All right. Uh, thanks to Electrify America for being the sponsor of this episode of the Electric Podcast. They have the largest public fast charging network in the U.S. We're going to have a little bit more to say about them later on the show. Stay tuned for that. But thanks, Electrify America, for sponsoring the show. Um, all right. We'll jump in the news right away. Uh, we are going to start with Tesla news, our usual format, and then we move to a, we have a bunch of other things to discuss to this week. Uh, but first, uh, this this article, this article went viral for some reason yesterday. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but a lot of people were interested in it because of the context around it. Uh, is Tesla sent an ultimatum, ultimatum, that's how you say that, <laughs> to buyers in the U.S. Uh, will keep delaying uh, deliveries. So a source at Tesla told us that... Uh, it's affecting uh, about 2,000 orders or so, like the low thousands of orders that have been placed. And it's for people that have been uh, delinquent on taking deliveries for a while. Uh, we're talking six months and more. Uh, we did share um, the an example of the automated email that Tesla is sending those uh, those buyers. And uh, it's, it's basically... We uh, found that you have an order on the books with us and you've been refusing delivery once or more and uh, again six months or more and they are giving them an ultimatum to accept delivery by uh, december 2nd or uh, or they will cancel the order so now why would someone be delaying a delivery and why there'll be so many people delivering delivery that this is an actual news story um there's a bunch of reason for that the 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 one that makes the most sense where Tesla is obviously not to blame is that there's some people that just are, are just they want to test that and, and they can afford it really so the 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 they buy it they place the order but when it's time to pay they uh, they fail the credit score for financing or they just cannot get the money together uh, but they they still hoping that to get the car uh, and so so they just they, they ask Tesla not to cancel the order when they don't cannot take delivery. Tesla give the car to someone else. Uh, but it does cruise with Tesla's uh, logistics, especially at the end of the quarter. And then we know that this is a big one coming too. It's the uh, end of the year. Uh, Tesla is trying to beat another delivery record. So Tesla wants to clean up their delivery schedule for the end of the month. And by forcing people that uh, have been known to delay their deliveries, it's going to be easier to um, to plan that out. But now there's another context to it, too, because there's the tax credit that's most likely coming back in 2022, starting in January 1st, if you take January, delivery January 1st. So there's a bunch of people that have been dealing deliveries in the U.S. in order to get it January 1st or after January 1st in order to um, potentially take advantage of a $7,500 tax credit. And these people are playing a dangerous game, if you will, where they have their order on for a while, and we know that Tesla increased pricing a lot this year, so they don't want them to cancel the order because then they would not have access to that lower price that they have it when they ordered it. And on top of it, they want to also have the tax credit, so they want they want their cake and eat it, eat it too, some would say. And uh, for those people, Tesla is also pushing them to, to close in that now because they they know possibly know what's happening too, and they, they they want again. It's also part of the logistic thing, but they also don't want people gaming the system like that. I feel like is it all you see it said? Yeah. So my neighbor, uh, this guy, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't call him a friend, but like a guy in the neighborhood, uh, 
you know, he knows I'm a, a big Tesla guy. He's been kind of bragging about his ability to keep pushing it and pushing it further and further. And he got this letter. I didn't find out until like after you posted, but um, he was like, yeah, I got that letter. And I was like, oh my gosh, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'm, I'm just going to try to push it till January. And I was like, oh boy, like you're going to have to rebuy your card. I, so he's trying to trying to keep pushing it, but I don't know. It uh, doesn't sound like that's part of the game plan here. Uh, yeah, at the management level, it sounds like Tesla is really pushing for to respect the the new the new policy. But this is like an automated system that they send this out to people that are that are qualified based on the criteria that we just discussed. So there's probably some wiggle room if you know your Tesla dealership very well, if you know like your delivery advisor, if you've been an existing Tesla owner. There's a lot of people. Was was this guy one of them? Was it was he a previous Tesla owner? Was it a previous Tesla owner? And he's he's actually it's been almost I think it's been over a year. He was oh. He was the guy that was going to get the third row and, uh, you know, waited for the third row. The third row came and then he delayed delivery. And then, he, you know, he's he's one of those guys that like, you know, he's like, I'll, I'll wait until like the next feature comes. And then like the next feature comes, he's like waiting for the next feature. And, and then the tax thing. Yeah. And like, and me and another friend have this kind of running joke about him that like, he's never going to get a car. Like he's going to be dead before he actually can buy a car because there's always going to be another update. There's always going to be something in the future. And now it's kind of a game because we keep, I keep telling him about what's coming and he's like, Oh, I'm going to delay it again. <laughs> so you tease him. He's like, you should wait yeah. for this feature. It's yeah, so the, the challenge is now like, I'm trying to like, see if I can get him to never get a touch. <laughs> you guys have he, bets going on at this well, over Honduras. <laughs> it, it's kind of just a, a running joke, but like the idea is like, I keep on enticing him with like upcoming features that we find out about like, Oh, you know, something in China or like something in the code or whatever. And he's like, Oh, I, I can't, I can't buy before that. You know, I need to wait for that. Well, I don't feel too bad for someone doing something like that, but but there, there's there's situations that I admit are are a little bit weirder, especially with the new Model S and X, like deliveries. Uh, like the Tesla is like pushing people to take deliveries now, and they're and uh, uh, after like for example the Plaid Plus that didn't happen, and like now someone was like uh, had a Plaid Plus order, and then uh, Tesla switched them to a Plaid regular order, which doesn't have all the same features that were promised, mainly the the range. And someone will, are like waiting for Tesla to actually release the Plaid Plus, but like that's that's just a that that's just a bet that they're doing because they, they don't know if that's ever going to happen. Um, so if, I I think for the Model S and X pe- people that are, have been delaying orders, well, I doubt that anyone has been delaying themselves orders for the Model X since deliveries just started. But for the Model S, uh, I think they they get reimbursed at least the non-refundable deposit that you have to put. Like it's a hundred dollars non-refundable deposit now. So if you Delay delivery yourself, uh, you're responsible for that. But uh, Tesla, I think, is waiving that for for those since uh, they, I mean they, they they are it's not completely your, their fault. They're not getting the car that they wanted, really. Uh, but yeah, that's an interesting situation that's going, and I think uh, we're gonna see it uh, fold out over the next months. Since a lot of people, it's gonna be a weird weird type of balance that this is gonna have to do in the U.S. Uh, for the rest of the month with people that uh, expect the the tax rate to come, but I don't know what's happening right now with the build back better. It's still in Senate. I don't know. We haven't heard of any modification regarding electric vehicle uh, so far, but uh, it's uh, I mean, it might be weeks I mean, still, I, right? It's not. A, I don't even think it's a done deal because you know, like uh, that mansion guy, like yeah. seems kind of like a lunatic. Um, 
he is not in favor of well, he's not in favor of union stuff, but I don't think he's in favor of uh uh incentives for vehicles. So like there's gonna have to be some kind of thing. I don't I don't think it's a done deal by any stretch of the imagination. Well he's not for any tax credit for electric vehicle. That sounds like someone else we know, uh Elon Musk, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump to that news right away since it happened this morning and it's on a lot of people's mind. It's uh it's a strange situation. Uh so Tesla was reported uh, having withdrew their application for a billion dollar subsidy uh from uh the EU for their German factory, specifically for the battery cell production at the at the Gigafactory Berlin. So we know that Tesla um has been deploying uh, battery cell production capacity there in in order to to supply the new Model Y with the 4680 cell, uh, enabling the uh, the structural battery pack architecture, the new architecture that they're deploying on the Model Y. But uh, and and that was a that was a big one. And we're talking about um, a billion dollars. It's it's a huge fund that the EU released and German government the government. And Tesla was primed to be selected for 1.14 billion euros. So that's that's over a billion US dollars uh, to help build that factory, which we know it's a giant one because they are planning for 100 gigawatt hour of production capacity. This is, this is uh, massive. But today, the uh, German economy ministry confirmed that Tesla withdrew their application uh, while insisting that the battery factory is still planned there. It's just that they won't expect any funding from them. And then, so then, someone on, of course, on the Tesla Twitter posted posted that this is good news. This is Tesla refusing to get uh, subsidies anymore. They can do without, uh, which which is an interesting comment to make. And then Elon responded that comment without directly addressing it, but he said it has always been Tesla's view that all subsidies should be eliminated, but that must include the massive subsidies for oil and gas. For some reason, government doesn't want to do that. So now the comment is being reported as Elon is is saying, at least that's how the media took it. Like I've seen a bunch of the way that the media reported the news, and it's like, oh, Elon is saying, they, they redrew, Tesla redrew the application because Elon is saying that we don't want it. Um, it's not as clear if you just read his comment. It it becomes clearer if you look at the first comment which suggested that and him not disagreeing with that. But it sounds strange because in this comment in, in itself, it says they should eliminate any subsidies, but also eliminate the oil and gas subsidies. So it sounds like he's okay with Tesla still benefiting from subsidies as long as the oil and gas industry still get them, which in my opinion is perfectly fair game. I, I agree with him. But now... He's also by not disagreeing with the comment in the first place. He's making it sound like indeed Tesla is 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 refusing that subsidy for some ideological reason, uh, which sounds strange. Because what does that mean? Are, are they are they refusing all subsidies now for for ideological reason? Are they refusing the most likely seventy five hundred dollar uh, tax credit that's coming in the U.S. if, like you said, if Mention agrees with it, or whatever? But and and the the multitude of other subsidies that Tesla is enjoying. Uh, and I'm not I'm not saying that as a bad thing is because I agree with with him that the uh, fossil fuel industries have been enjoying massive subsidies for years. That makes no sense, and it just it's just fair play that the the EV industry get the similar thing or even better, really, uh, just to represent their their benefit on the environment. Um, but again, we're not going to go into the tax credit, the, the, the carbon tax again. We all think that that's going to be that would be a, a mo- the most fair application, but. Um, we're not there yet. 
So I I have when I read that I had a hunch that there has to be another reason than 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 this than what Elon is saying here. And credit to the financial financial time here that they they went into the details of the program to get the fundings, and they found a clause that says that uh, that could explain the the actual withdrawal that Tesla that Tesla did. Uh, it it does say that the EU requires any sites uh, in receipt of the funds to be the first industrial deployment of the technology, according to the official document, meaning that the batteries cannot already be made at another Tesla plant. So. The publication suggests that the delays in in deploying the battery uh, capacity, battery production capacity in Gigafactory Berlin, because Tesla still hasn't hasn't received approval for for it, so it might not even be Tesla's fault there. Uh, though though Tesla did suggest that there were some actual delays in bringing battery production too. Uh, they are waiting for for the green light to produce the cars there. Uh, apparently, that's pretty much ready. But the batteries, it, it sounds like tes- that delays might be on Tesla's side too. Um, could result in other sites bringing battery production first. We saw that Gigafactory Texas was getting deliveries of large quantities of equipment to, to build battery cells recently. So maybe maybe Gigafactory Texas is going to be the first site to get the 4680 uh, in-house production. Uh, then there's also the, uh, the the factory in Fremont. So the, this is officially a pilot production plant, but it's a 10 gigawatt hour pilot production plant. So this is higher production than a lot of full-scale battery cell factories in the world. So maybe this would qualify as first industrial deployment. I, I don't know. Uh, so I don't know about the details on that front, but they, th- this sounds to me like a more, much more likely explanation than, <laughs> than uh, Tesla suddenly refusing to take any subsidy. I mean, if they don't take it, someone else will. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't think, uh, think Tesla is going to refuse any subsidies. Um, you know, there's been quite a few, uh, quite a bit of money poured into Tesla from subsidies, not just, um, you know, with the cars, but also have they gotten big tax breaks, uh, with their, um, Gigafactory in Nevada and New York. Um, so I don't know, you, you can say it's like not really a subsidy because they're just getting a tax break, but it's a subsidy um, and fits the description for sure. Yeah. All right, speaking of Gigafactory Texas, where Tesla might be deploying now battery production first, uh, there's also a new filing from Tesla that showed the the, um, the first phase of the ba- of the vehicle production for Model Y production at the facility. So Tesla applied with the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation for approval to launch production of the of the factory, and they had five different filings for the main parts of uh, Model Y production there. Um, namely, uh, body and white production, general assembly, paint, casting, and stamping, and uh, they uh, also listed the actual cost of deploying those capacity in each. So it's a uh, it adds up to about a billion dollars with the general assembly taking in roughly half of it, uh, body and white being 182 million, paint 126 million, casting 109 million, and stamping 150 million. So. Um, we get a, a good idea of the cost of deploying the first part of it. A lot of people say, well, this sounds like on the lower side, but this sounds to be like the, the, the cost of deployment of the first phase for the Model Y production there. Uh, even that alone, because Tesla has been ca- ta- talking about the first phase being 500,000 cars a year, 
a billion would be extremely low for 500,000 cars a year. But at the same time, Tesla has been claiming that they're in the whole new architecture with the Model Y, with the uh, structural battery pack and all the improvement they've been made. Uh, one of the biggest cost advantage is reducing the capitalization of deploying large production capacity. So, so either this is for a smaller production volume than originally anticipated, or Tesla made some massive improvement of lowering the capital necessary to deploy a production of 500,000 cars a year, uh, which would be impressive at, at that level specifically. But of course, this is just for Model Y, and Tesla also plans to deploy Model 3 production there, Cybertruck production, and eventually, potentially, Tesla Semi production at the larger scale than they do right now in Nevada, as we discussed last week. Uh, the, the plan is apparently still to get start production by the end of the year, and it looks like it's more on pace than uh, Gigafactory Berlin at this point. There's a uh, Gigafactory Berlin, Tesla just, uh, not Tesla, but the local government just finished a new uh, commentary period that they redid uh, over some technicality issues. And uh, now apparently some people still, uh, some of our group are asking for a third commentary period on it. So uh, if they are successful in requesting that, uh, I don't. I don't see Tesla producing any cars there officially uh, by the end of the year. However, like I don't know what, what what kind of leeway Tesla has to do some like serious pre-production of cars that they could do and 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 just like switch to production because we know that the the official start of production is not nearly as important of uh, like achieving like a thousand cars a week, for example. So that the production ramp itself. So maybe Tesla can still do a lot of things to help achieve a, a smooth production ramp without having the official startup production but i i don't know what if if they're like so strict in germany that they don't let you like roll anything off the production line until uh you you get approved and it doesn't make sense to to a degree because like the bigger environmental impact comes as you ramp up production too so you want to be clear with your plan that uh it, it won't it won't have any massive impact yeah, it's, it's just interesting that uh, Tesla now is on the precipice of uh, opening two, like doubling its, you know, assuming all factories can produce the same, and obviously that's not true, but it's like doubling its footprint in terms of what it can produce. That's crazy. Over a short period of time, too, over like yeah. maybe a year or so, or so. So, yeah, it's especially when they are already so much ahead in terms of deploying volume production electric vehicle. Like, I, I think the market is starting, like, well, not, not, not just starting, they have with the trillion dollar recent evaluation, but a lot of the naysayer that didn't understand the valuation of Tesla before, even if they still might not agree with the trillion dollar, but like a lot of them didn't agree with a hundred billion dollars too. But now they, they, they're starting to understand more the value in like with the massive shift that's happening in the market, the companies that have the most volume production of electric vehicle ready are going to take over. And Tesla is by far the leader in that. All right. Uh, a quick reminder that if you're liking the podcast, please get, hit the like button. The algorithm loves that. Also, give us a subscribe. Most people that are watching the show right now are not subscribed. I don't know why. Uh, if you're watching, it's probably because uh, you you, you, you want to keep updated and everything. And if you're subscribed, you get a notification whenever we come live. So please do that, whether you're watching live on YouTube, uh, Facebook, or, or, or Twitter. Are we live on LinkedIn today? I don't know. Yep. Yeah, we're live on LinkedIn, too, if you're watching there. Um and also, if you're listening on your podcast app, we do appreciate when you guys leave us a five-star review. That helps the downloads a lot. So uh, if you guys can do that, uh, we appreciate it immensely. Uh, so you just go on your Apple podcast app or whatever app you're watching. Leave us a, t- a quick review. We read them all, too. So if you want to communicate with us through there, always helpful. Um, 
All right, moving on to the uh, price increase. Uh, so we always report on the U.S. price increase, uh, which have been extremely frequent for Tesla this year. But the international prices have been going up too, not as a, as a fast-paced as, uh, as the U.S. prices, not as frequently. But uh, recently, there was uh, two more significant price increases in two uh, relatively important markets for Tesla. Well, one definitely important, the other one less a little bit. But in China, Tesla increased the price of the Model 3 and the Model Y uh, significantly into two um, uh, two separate price increases uh, in a week. So one of the Model 3 was 6.4% increase and then a 1.9% increase. So almost 9% increase in, in, in a week of the prices in, in, um, in China. For the rear-wheel drive Model 3, which is the most popular version and the cheapest one. So uh, the price is now the equivalent of roughly 40,000 USD. So it's still cheaper than it is in the in, in the US, but uh, it's closing the gap. And then the Model 3 also got a similar price increase over the week. Uh, the, Model, the Model 3 the Model Y, I should say, which also has a rear-wheel drive version in China that it doesn't in the, in the US. Uh, in Canada, we also saw a price increase. And this one is uh, more significant because uh, while the price increase itself is not as big, it it's just big enough to push the mold three out of the federal incentive program uh, here. So the the way that the federal program works, you have and you have to have the starting price at forty five thousand Canadian or less, and it cannot go over fifty five thousand dollar Canadian. And Tesla was already gaming a system. Uh, a little bit, not a little bit. Actually, they were completely gaming the system <laughs> by by releasing a version of the Model Three uh, that was easily software locked. So it was just a regular Model Three rear-wheel drive, but with a bunch of features that were that that, that were um, uh, software locked. Especially the range. Like I don't remember exactly what the range was, but it was it made no sense. Like it was something like a hundred miles or something like that, hundred and fifty kilometers, I think. So no one wanted to buy that. The forty five thousand dollars vehicle with 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 150 miles of range uh, kilometers of range i should say uh so and no one did buy it i think 200 people bought it since they did that like three years ago uh but what it did is that it made the price uh the base price below forty five thousand, and then you can uh, buy the unlocked version of the car for just a little bit less than fifty five thousand dollars, which was the limit so that way they could get access to the five thousand dollars tax uh, it's not a tax credit actually it's a direct discount You, you get a check um, and uh, you also have a bunch of provincial programs in some province, like in, in, in Quebec and in BC, uh, and that would lower the car a lot and made the Model 3 extremely popular in Canada, especially the base version that you could get that the incentive on. But now with the price increase, significant one still, uh, went from 45500 to $60,000. So that is completely out of the price range. So you're not getting that. And what's even more significant is that like in BC, for example, it also kicks it out of the provincial incentive. So you are another $5,000 more expensive there. So with the federal incentive gone, with the local incentive gone, and with the price increase itself, it's basically $15,000 more expensive than it was last week. So this is, this is a big change for uh, people in BC, but people in Canada in general too. So I would expect the, the those price increase to significantly affect Tesla's market, but again in Canada. But again, this is like next year's delivery, like deep into next year's delivery, because these are for new orders. So if you already have a car on order, you should still be fine. And but um, 
because Tesla right now is pricing like a, a June 2022 for for those new deliveries. So uh, honestly, like the price could change by then, it could lower. And Tesla, if you haven't taken delivery yet, they will let you change the price to the lower one. So it's not a problem on that front. Uh, Self driving beta 10.5 was released this week. Tesla released uh, a new uh, series of. Uh, uh, release notes that uh, I, I like that in the last few releases, Tesla has been giving us a lot more details about what they changed, what they improve in it. Um, a lot of interesting t- stuff, especially well, they they give us the, the the percentage of like what everything improves, and I I don't know like that reminds me a lot of like the Apple events when they release a new iPhone and all the iPhones are like fifty, thirty, sixty percent better at, at everything <laughs> i don't, I don't right. know how often like these get, get benchmarked and, and actually can show an actual percentage of improvement but it, it sounds a little bit more marketing than anything else to me but it might it might be right i don't know what i find the most interesting though is that when when they, they mention like uh adding 165,000 auto label videos to uh improve improve the static well protection so that that's more that's more clear like the they have a machine learning system and they fed it 160,000 videos and uh, the only thing you can do that is buying being auto label unless you have like 160,000 <laughs> no, maybe not but you have to have thousands thousands and thousands of labelers which actually Tesla has I think I think the uh, the Tesla is having 2,000 labelers I think which is which is a significant number of people just labeling uh, I guess only videos now I think Tesla move just to labeling uh, in the video format instead of it being in the, in the image format but uh, yeah, that that improved the static well prediction, which I mean, in the version that I I've uh, tested, the ten point two was already massively impressive. Like Tesla's capacity to detect the world around it is extremely good. So it being off thirty percent from from this update is is already like a big improvement. It's a decision making that I um, uh, I've been a little bit less impressed by the cut-in district detection uh, network improved by five point five percent. L reduce false slowdowns. So that's something that we discussed last week with the phantom braking. Of course, I was talking mainly about autopilot, but this is also a problem in the full self-driving. So uh, what this implies here is that a lot of the the false slowdowns, which another word for phantom braking, I guess, have been due to detecting a a vehicle cutting in on you while it wasn't. Which I, I explained it on last week's podcast, but I've had this experience specifically. But also, uh, some phantom breaking uh, I feel are not related to that, unless they're somehow detecting a cut in from a completely invisible vehicle. But uh, by having that, this 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 should help a little bit in those situations. So those merging situation when you merge onto the highway, like I discussed last week, uh, they also improve merge uh, object detection recall by using multimodal object detection at the intersection. Okay, well, that's an intersection, so it's not necessarily like a ramp on the highway. Um, one thing that I found really interesting is enabled emergency collision avoidance maneuvering in shadow mode. So this this uh, sounds a little bit wild here, which sounds like the car... I mean, we've already seen the car do that in real-world scenario, especially in, on autopilot. There's been a ton of videos of like the car like saving yourself and everything, but it's rarely... Sorry... It's rarely like wild maneuvers, like really, really like strong steering changes. Can be like quick steering changes, but not the ratio at which you can turn is limited in autopilot. Um, probably not in in, in full self driving because the car has to do like full turns and everything. But at higher speed, maybe it's limited. I don't I don't know all the specific of that. And um, 
but what it sounds like is the car now is going to be able to do more extreme maneuvers to try to avoid collision, which humans do sometimes in uh, touching wood, not too often, but if you have to, you, you have to. Now, the car won't do it because uh, they, they do make it specific to shadow mode. So the, the, this, this new feature will run in the background of your car. And if, if there's a scenario where, the, where it could try to do that, it will do it in a, like, basically a simulation. Like it will activate it and then send the data back to Tesla and be like, hey, this, we could have done that there. We didn't do it because it's in shadow mode and the driver did whatever they, they had to to avoid the accident. But here, what would, would have happened? So well, let's work with that information. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, with that update, there's something else that happened to the full self-driving beta program is that Tesla added one thing to the, the warning when you accept the update. Um, we already discussed the, the full page. Like you, can, you can check on Electric. We have the, the full warning there. Um, and it was a, I felt like it was a very good one. Tesla was like didn't pull back any punches. They made it clear that you have to be extremely careful that the car can do the wrong thing at the worst time. Uh, very fair warning, in my opinion. Now what they had it was, uh, let's read the mention here. By enabling FSD beta, I consent to Tesla's collection of VIN-associated image data from the vehicle's external cameras and cabin camera in the occurrence of a serious safety risk or safety event like a collision. So let's look into what Tesla is saying here. Tesla always has been connecting video data, both well, always from the external cameras and more recently in the last two years from the, from the cabin camera, which has been dormant for a long time, but we discussed that. It was activated a few years ago and, and Tesla started collecting data from, from, from the cabin camera, which got some people uneasy, but you can approve it, you can disapprove it. And it was always for research purposes, basically to improve Tesla's uh, computer perception, computer vision, and um, feed that to the machine learning system. And they made it clear, so take their words for it, that the footage was never linked to a specific vehicle, so any specific individual. So Tesla couldn't use the footage against you or your insurers couldn't access the footage and you're getting this against you. There was no link between them two. Uh, the only thing that could happen is like if the, the owner asked, there's some occasion that this has been known to release the video, but it was very far and few in between. Now, uh, the, the key word here is VIN associated image data. So this time Tesla is asking for people to preemptively consent to Tesla using this image associated with your vehicle in case of a serious risk of ac or accident or crash. So... What it sounds like basically is Tesla is making sure that if if a, there's an accident that happened, they can use the video and and if someone blames the uh, autopilot or the FSD in this case, uh, they can go and like let's look at the video and see what happened. And if you weren't looking at the moment of the crash or anything like that, they're gonna use that against you and make it clear that was your fault. Um, some some users ended, ended up uh, posting that and ex like describing it like that. And even Elon agrees, like no one's gonna blame it on us with that. Uh, of course, that's if they're not to blame because I've seen some <laughs> potential. Like now with FSD, it's not like autopilot before. Like autopilot, I've yet to see an actual crash video, crash video where it looked like the driver wasn't paying attention. What, what was paying attention? Like most of the time, it looked like they had a good ten, five. Even like two or three seconds reaction, like there's plenty of time to have a reaction. Um, with 
FSD beta, I've seen plenty of videos where it was a moment reaction, like like the driver could not have been blamed if they didn't manage to take back control at the right time. Like they could have their hand on the steering wheel and everything, and like at the last seconds, they they pulled it out of their hat to to make it happen. The timing is also interesting for adding this piece of language to the warning because uh, we discussed last week that uh, there might have been the first reported accident on FSD beta, which Tesla has been uh, boasting that they had never had any accident on FSD beta after uh, now it's been more than a year that the program has been been in use. Of course, for a long time, it was only a handful of people uh, using it, but now it's in the thousands. So uh, it, it was starting to be impressive that Tesla didn't have any accident in a very what I would call an early, early beta, if not like an alpha program, and uh, that they didn't get any accident with millions and millions of miles of usage and thousands of users. So, but last week we reported on someone posting a NHTSA report where they claimed that they were using FSD beta and they had an accident where they blame they blamed the system uh, and not themselves for the accident. So uh, Tesla adding that, with that, with the preemptively asking for consent, Tesla could, have more ammunition to defend themselves, basically. All right, should we do a quick head read? Yep. This episode of the Electric Podcast is brought to you by Electrify America. Electrify America now operates the largest coast-to-coast ultra-fast charging network with more than 650 charging stations, and it's growing. It currently has plans underway for around 800 total charging stations with more than 3,500 chargers to be completed by December of this year. And it plans to have more than 1,800 ultra-fast charging stations and 10,000 individual chargers installed by the end of 2025. That includes 50-kilowatt to 350-kilowatt chargers near highways and 50-kilowatt to 150-kilowatt chargers in metropolitan areas. The newly launched Electrify America mobile apps now offer contactless payment along with CarPlay and Android Auto integration, and you can save up to 25% on charging with the new Pass Plus subscription plans. If you're an EV driver and want to learn more about Electrify America and its growing network of charging stations, find out what they're up to at electrifyamerica.com. That's electrifyamerica.com or hit up the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Electrify America for sponsoring this week's show. Yes, thanks, Electrify America. Uh, if you guys have any questions, please put them in the comments section right now. Uh, if you can put them in all cap or uh, at least a question in all cap before you ask the question, that's going to be easier for us to um, scroll to them at the end of the show because we're going to answer them all if we can. Uh, all right. Tesla launched a new $20,000 carbon ceramic brake kit for the Model S Plaid. So quite the new kit here. Uh, so we, we've been expecting a lot of uh, track-ready accessories to come for the Model S Plaid since the release in June. The car is already plenty impressive by, by itself stock, but uh, it the kind of power that you get from that, like it wouldn't make sense with Tesla to make it track oriented uh, package for it and we've seen them test them on the racetrack more recently on the Nürburgring uh, but also we've seen them on some tracks in California over the last year there's been some prototype of the plan that that was featured some aerodynamic performance and an active um, spoiler and the and also some bigger brake pads which are greatly needed when you can reach like 200 miles an hour and uh, 0 to 16 1.99 seconds um so this kit here uh, gives you carb, uh, carbon silicon carbide uh, front rotor. Uh, same thing in the rear motor, uh, rotors. And then you have uh, forged front calipers that there is six piston in the front, four piston in the back. Uh, the, the 
caliper mounted parking brakes and uh, high performance brake pads and fluids all around. The Tesla launched it on their site today, but they're and they launched the price and everything. But they said that it will come mid twenty twenty two. Right now, they're just collecting emails. They're not they're not collecting any deposits for it. So it sounds like it's early, just gauging interest for it, which makes sense because at twenty thousand dollars, you that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're gonna want to uh, uh, cost of like a car. Yeah. So my understanding about ceramic brakes is like from day to day, they're not any better than normal brakes but uh when you're on the track and braking a lot uh those things heat up the ceramic dissipate heat a lot better or they don't keep heat i guess as much as uh metallic brakes exactly but um there's been some uh i feel like there's been some complaints about the brakes on the plaid model s is that it's an av car it's that goes fast and yeah it's it's just not designed to be uh, pushed to the extreme like people are are doing right now because the powertrain can take it, but like right. the, the brakes are just not up to par for that. But for, but like you said, you also like who, who's gonna buy a twenty thousand dollar carbon brake if then you don't take it to the track? We know that a lot of people are buying those cars because it, it, it kind of sits in a weird weird segment. Like it's a full size family sedan that just happened to be faster than most supercars out there. So like right. almost every supercar out there, the exception of like two million dollar Navara, basically. So. It's a strange thing that's happening. It's a strange market. All right, let's talk about Rivian uh, a little bit. Uh, they sent out this week their um, delivery windows to customers. So we know they've been delivering the cars for a little while now, but uh, we haven't heard any delivery to an actual customers just yet. Uh, just internal deliveries to investors and 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 employees, uh, which you know Tesla did the same and makes sense. You uh, uh, you get to keep a lot of the problems internally. Uh, we know that Lucid has been having some issues with that. They did some external deliveries first with the, well, I guess employees have been driving the car for a while too, but with their lunch that was around the same time and some people have been uh, sharing the complaints with, with some of the qualities issue early on, which is, of course, understandable with a new car. Uh, Riven has been a little bit more careful on that front, but uh, now they are but also resulting in, in another basically delay for customers that were expecting their car like last year basically and then pushed to this year uh from july to september and then september ended up just being employees and now uh we're talking about the first deliveries in march 2022 so not too far out but still still a few months away uh, and uh, you see this email here uh, a lot of people receive that it's all the same email but with different timelines uh, r1s is a little bit further out too but uh, not not too far. Here, the very useful group of uh, Rivian buyers. Uh, I don't remember the forum. Did we share the forum thing? There's Rivian forums, yeah. Yeah, I think they have a, because there's a bunch of them, so I don't want to confuse them. But um, they, they see here what we get in terms of the delivery timeline. So, oh, there's some uh, R1S R1S's. In, in March, yeah. too. So it's basically a timeline, but the bulk of it gets later on in June, July. While uh, the bulk of it for the R1T is in between March and June, so uh, a lot of R1T first, the pickup truck, and then later with the R1S, uh, they got they, they did the international delivery windows too. So because I got mine, I still have my reservation on mine, and now they're talking about uh, June for for Canada if if I'm if I'm within the first, which I would assume because I I'm a first day delivery uh, first day reservation holder. 
but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna keep that reservation or not at this point. It's you got the R1T, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I have a R1S. Uh, I haven't got any communication about it, but mine, I just reserved mine after my test drive recently. Yeah, so. makes sense that there probably are thousands and thousands of people ahead of you in the in line. Sadly, yes. Yeah. I wish I could transfer mine to yours, but I don't know. Like, it would be difficult because transferring a Canadian reservation to a U.S. one and not only that, changing it from an R1T to R1S, it's starting to ask a lot. <laughs> from right. Um, Mercedes had two pieces Sorry, of news uh, this week. The EQB launched in Europe. Uh, so we get some of the first pricing information for the car. Uh, of course, it's... Uh, it's European pricing, but uh, we, we can get a pretty good idea of EVS pricing with some calculation here. So if you don't remember, the EQB is just a little bit bigger SUV than the EQA. Uh, basically, it's going to be like a Model Y competitor, Mustang Nike competitor in that very popular segment right now, which one of the segments that's been electrified the first, this crossover, small, smaller compact SUV. Mercedes called it a compact SUV, but of course, they also have the EQA, which is even smaller. Uh, they are starting with the two all-wheel drive version of the car, and uh, the base all-wheel drive version starts at fifty-five thousand euros. Uh, of course, this is uh, Germany prices, which includes uh, the nineteen uh, percent uh, VAT. So, if you remove that and then convert to USD, you get a price of roughly fifty thousand dollars. So, that's the price range I would expect for the the, the Mercedes EQB. And there's a front wheel, uh, no, rear wheel drive version that's also going to come next year. Though I don't know if that's going to be available in the US, but they said that it's coming, so it's going to be even a little bit cheaper than that for that. Uh, the uh, the car is equipped with a 66.5 kilowatt hour um, usable capacity, so it's a higher capacity than that, but the usable is is 65, 66.5. Uh, it's gonna have. I wouldn't expect like that big of a range on on, on this thing. You're talking about a consumption like sixteen point two per hundred kilometers of range, um, so probably around three uh, three fifty kilometers, along something like. And uh, so the EQB is kind of the successor of the B class uh, wagon, right? Yeah, that's like the idea. The, yeah. And that was the first uh, electric car that Mercedes Daimler did. Mercedes did, and they, yeah. that's the one they did with Tesla for a little while. Yeah, but it was uh, less in the format of a crossover, like almost like a wagon. More like a wagon, yeah. yeah. It wasn't really popular. That was back when Lisa or Daimler, I should say, was still an investor in Tesla. Right. What a screw-up that was, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it wasn't really, because they put $50 million in, and I think they got like $600 million out, but they could have got like billions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could have been like a you know, large percentage of the value. Of yeah, at one point they, the they had ten percent of the company. I want to say, which right now would be worth a hundred yeah. billion dollars. But of course, there was some dilution around the way. But I wouldn't be surprised if they would be able to get out with like twenty billion or something if they would have stuck around for the last few years. I think in two thousand seventeen, they they sold all all their shares, something like that. All right. The other piece of news is the uh, they announced a date for the. What do they call that? The Mercedes Vision EQXX. So this is a concept car, so we don't get too excited by those. But there's there's reason to be excited about this one because this is going to be in a hyper-efficient electric car. So Mercedes is is basically right now unveiling this concept next month. Uh, not next month. Uh, January 3rd. So it's coming January 3rd now. They just announced the release date. 
unveiling date. And uh, it, it's going to be a car that's going to showcase the next-gen platform, uh, electric vehicle platform for, for, for the brand with a focus on efficiency. So we just discussed, like, they have, like, a 66 kilowatt hour battery pack but usable capacity they have a large buffer because they're being more careful so these things are not that efficient those cars so the next gen is going to be more efficient 20 percent higher energy density in the battery cell that alone is a is 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 massive improvement really Uh, and then uh, they they want to do the same thing across the entire powertrain some aerodynamic improvement. We know the EQS has been a quite a success in terms of aerodynamic performance. Uh, they want to translate that into other version of the, the next gen platform. But this car here, they, they talk, they're talking about a compact car. I mean, I don't even like know where it would fit on the on the Mercedes Benz lineup. But they uh, released this new picture here that gave us a better idea of the car, and it almost looks like a, not just a compact car. It looks like extremely narrow. I want to say almost like the Aptera, really. But you know, I was thinking the same thing. Uh, not quite. But a, yeah. Yeah, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do here. Because is this, I mean, is it going to be, the cockpit looks kind of small. It's going to be kind of like a uh, two-seater or something? Yeah, it looks like it could be like almost a sports car. Um, I don't think it's going to be quite as extreme as the Aptera. Like no three-wheeler for sure. It's going to be more of a normal-looking car, but still quite quite uh, impressive. You're talking about a range, a real-world useful range of 620 miles, so over 1,000 kilometers here. So this is quite significant. Um, of course, they can cram a lot of batteries in there, especially if the energy density is increased by 20%. But the, the, the idea is like they're going to showcase a lot of the efficiency technology that they're going to release in the next-gen platform that's going to power cars coming 2025 and, and later. So it's still a ways out, but it's interesting in my opinion. All right, should we jump into the comments? Yeah, if anybody has any more comments, uh, let us know. They're kind of thin today. So, uh, Aim Hire says, at what share price would you consider buying Rivian stock? Do you still have a Cybertruck on order? So, I think we both have a Cybertruck on order. We both do, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's, you know, it's just a $100 thing. Um, share price of the Rivian, um, you know, it, everything's kind of crazy right now. Like, Let's look at them today, what it looks like. With it, probably 110, 20. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you, you had the opportunity to do it because in the, the US and you have reservation holders, you could buy them. You decided not to for, for good reason. I mean, it was quite wild. It's $112 today, so 95 billion market cap. So, my idea personally, and I, of course, I'm a licensed financial advisor, and you, everything I say is a stock recommendation. I'm kidding. Everything I just said right now is wrong. Uh, so, just if you want my humble opinion as someone who's very invested in this uh, in this industry. What I was thinking is, yes, this is this is high for a company that's barely delivering any vehicle right now. But I'm super hyped about Rivian, and they did raise an insane amount of money during the the the, the capital raise, like twelve billion dollars. They already had a good coffers already, like full of cash. So like they are in great position. So the market cap is not that insane when you take it to amount of amount of cash. However, I think they're gonna burn through cash like crazy. So. My personal bet right now, because I would love to be a Rivian investor, but I find it to be a little bit expensive right now. So it's a bet that I'm doing that after one or two future um, earnings report where they show that they burn like billions of dollars of cash every quarter, maybe not a billion. Like if they'd sell less than a billion, that would be be better. But uh, I don't know exactly how much it's going to be, but it's going to be a lot of cash every quarter. 
I'm thinking that some investors might want to get out. Uh, didn't already understand what's happening with this company, but personally, I think they're gonna be fine. Though they're gonna be able to burn through that the, a lot of cash until they, they reach volume production and become sustainable financially. So my bet is that the price would could go down a little, or at least enough for me to find attractive enough to get in with those future um, earnings. Uh, but it's a bet. They, they might also like you know the Tesla game. Like they had a few bad earnings where the uh, they went on the on charming missions on their earnings call and were able to still get the stock up by talking about future outlook and anything like that. And and RJ is a great leader and he's very charismatic too. So I might, maybe he's going to be able to do that. And I wouldn't say it's a bad thing to do that because again, I think future ribbon could be worth a lot more than that. Um, but yeah, that's my two cents. Yeah, uh, kind of in the same boat. Um, I feel like they definitely have a future, but the price right now is. Just kind of crazy. All right. Uh, what highly efficient RVs are you aware of? Fifth wheels, Cybertruck towable, and or Class A Tesla semi-projects in the market for an EV RV? Well, I know you know of a Tesla Cybertruck RV towable. Um, uh, it's not even towable, actually. It's, uh, oh, it's really? embedded in the, in the bed. Embedded in the bed. Uh, <laughs> embedded. Yeah. So it's not really towable, and I mean, what are you talking about here? I think there's there's a big market that like some smart people should get in right now. I'd be an investor, really, like in, in something like that, to use some of the vehicle platforms that are available right now or becoming available because there's a lot of people that are selling electric vehicle platform right now. Uh, or you can also just buy a Tesla Semi and do it, but that would be for like the very top end of the market, and it, it wouldn't be a bad idea, really. It's just that. Uh, you have to trust Tesla to deliver any of those, and I, I just it's it's gonna be gonna be a while. But Tesla has a giant backlog of order for Tesla semis, and I think the the fleet buyers are gonna be priority. So it's it could be risky, but yeah, there's definitely a market to do that right now. I've heard of a few projects. We we did report on a few of them. If you go on the like check and search uh, electric RVs, or uh, you you can find some of those. Uh, the, you're talking about towable too. I, I know that some companies they they market themselves as being more efficient. There's a, a bunch of them that go lighter and everything, but I, I wouldn't want to see one specifically designed for electric vehicles uh, with deployable solar on it uh, that can charge your car, like or whatever vehicle you use, uh, electric vehicles you use towing the uh, mobile home or the or the fifth wheel. I think I, th- I think there's more investment to be made on that because the the energy density and the, the energy capacity in electric vehicles and bigger ones right now is reaching the point where it makes sense. Uh, you're going to have a R1S. Uh, you, you could definitely uh, tow a small trailer behind that that uh, could be fun like uh, for camping. Oh, for sure. And, you know, you were mentioning like the 140 kilowatt hour battery pack. That'll, that'll last you days, weeks. You know, yeah. you can, and if you have solar, even better, you can charge charge it back up during the day so i don't know there's you're right there's tons and tons of opportunity and and uh you know one platform that a lot of rvs use if you're talking about you know plopping an rv into a a kind of a sprinter van um is the uh 4d transit like there's lots of ford transit rvs are you know out there but the e-transit's out the only problem with the e-transit right now is the battery pack's pretty small so the range is like 150 miles or whatever. But you have a lot of Ford-approved companies 
that are using Ford chassis, uh, not just for the transit, but like for the Ford 250, for example. Right. And uh, they are making electric powertrains out of them. Uh, most of them, are again, have similar problems where it's not that big of a range, but it's coming. They're going to have version of it with longer range. So it might make sense for some some com- people to start a, a companies and buy some of those uh, platforms and build RVs around them, and um, and as as the uh, energy capacity increase in those platforms, you can get like a very nice vehicle that can get like 200 miles of range on the day of travel, and then you stop and you you plug in at a camping spot and you fully charge overnight and maybe deploy some solar if you're staying there for a few days. It it, it just makes so much sense. It's uh it's crazy. Yep. All right. Uh, one last comment, and this is uh, Greg. What do you think of Electrify America's reliability challenges? Uh, obviously, Electrify America is a sponsor, but um, we have in the past talked about um, the the reliability um, of the network. Um, I think you know I've actually had a chance to talk to uh, Giovanni, the CEO at CES. They're you know aware of the issues. They're always kind of like, you know, he's always diving it down into uh, like plug share reviews, which, you know, plug share was bought by their competitor, um, EVgo, which is, you know, the irony was not lost on them. Uh, anyway, <laughs> they, they are uh, acutely aware of the issues. You know, there's a lot of things coming together, you know, for, for Tesla, it's a little easier. They don't have, you know, 20 different brands of uh, vehicles charging on their network yet. Um, so, and then, you know, they also have some Chatamo as well. So, um, you know, only thing I can say is like, I've also experienced in the past, um, some issues at Electrify America and like, it's super frustrating when it takes forever to, to get your car charged, but they're, they're making great strides. Uh, the app is super easy. Um, they're, they're, they're the only network that has plug in charge right now. Um, so like if you have a Mustang Mach-E or a Porsche Taycan or soon a Volkswagen ID4, you just drive up to the thing, plug in, and you're charging. So, you know, that's kind of my take. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a problem with uh, anyone. Like I had a road trip last weekend too, and uh, um, and my Tesla, and uh, I, I each of the supercharger station that I looked at between uh, here and uh, where I went to in Mavisi. They always said that a few station was are out of orders, uh, and then I I got to one supercharger in Drummondville, plugged the car, and it said there was two station that was out of order, and Tesla didn't have any signs on them, but the the light in the Tesla, you know, the Tesla is lighted on the supercharger was was out, so I assumed hmm. there was those two, and then uh, so I didn't park in one of those two, and I was charging perfectly fine, but then a car came uh, right after me. And uh, they they saw the same thing, so they were like, oh, "Okay, I'm not gonna park in those two. But then they park in the one that was lighted, and it didn't work. And they had to, to park at three different ones until one actually worked. So it's not just a electrify America problem, but they know it's a problem, and they know it can it can be sustainable long term. You have to improve your reliability. So they look at the numbers, try to reduce downtime as much as possible. So we're going to have to give them some slack on this and try to, well, not give them some slack, report them when they're down. Uh, that's definitely helpful. So, But it's, it's going to have to improve over time, there's no doubt. Yeah, and if you want to let Giovanni know, all you have to do is go into the PlugShare app. And, <laughs> and he's reading it, so. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, that's it in the comments. All right, we appreciate everyone listening to the show this week. Uh, big thumbs up if you like the show. And uh, we're going to see you same time, same place next week. Have a good weekend. Safe week.